We are delighted to have each of you here tonight. We do have visitors with us, and we thank you for coming and worshiping together with us. Tonight we are continuing in a series of lessons that I began about seven or eight weeks ago on moral issues that the Lord's church is facing. We have to realize that the world in which you and I live, there are a number of moral issues which are a part of our generation. We have faced things like abortion. We've discussed homosexuality. We've discussed gambling. We've discussed drinking of alcohol. Tonight, we're going to discuss a topic called, Shall We Dance? To begin with, many of our young people are confused. And I say that honestly. They do not know the difference between right and wrong on this topic. You might say, well, why don't they? Number one is there are some religious groups that condemn dancing while there are other religious groups that sponsor them. I can tell you there are a number of religious groups that think that dancing is a good, wholesome activity and they will sponsor dances. Dancing is a common activity in today's society. It doesn't take long to turn on your television and you'll find people with all sorts of television shows which feature dancing. It's been a part of my growing up childhood, for instance, whether you were watching American Bandstand or Soul Train. Either one of them featured a tremendous amount of, of dancing on them. There's a lot of modern movies like the movie Footloose that mocks a moral opposition to dancing. This movie suggests that if you are a person who opposes dancing, that you are, must be a religious hypocrite, that you must be someone who just simply doesn't understand modern society. Now let me hit one that's probably going to be very painful to some people, and that is some parents are inconsistent. I assume that most of you believe that the Bible is going to clearly present a case, and yet I'm not ignorant. In fact, I see Facebook pages where young people are with their parents, and they are showing off their prom dresses, showing off their clothes they're going to wear to the dance. And those of us who are Christians will at one point say, no, 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 we shouldn't do anything immoral. And then yet, we will encourage, at least allow something to occur within our home. How can this be a moral issue? Anything becomes a moral issue if God's word addresses it and to participate in it becomes immoral and to abstain from it is moral. There are questions that must be asked and answered. Some of the ones that we're going to discuss in our lesson tonight are, what is dancing? And uh, second of all, is all dancing wrong? Number three, is the modern dance from God or from the devil? No, where does it originate? And then number four, what should young people and parents do? 
We're going to look at dancing defined, dancing discussed in the Word of God, dancing that is demonic, and then finally, dancing disdained. I want to begin, first of all, with what dancing really is. If you go to the New Oxford American Dictionary, second edition, it defines it as a series of movements that match the speed and rhythm of a piece of music. In other words, music plays and a person moves their body to that music. There are several types of dance. Uh, I was surprised to realize exactly how many there are. I don't think it would be beneficial for me to try to list every one of them. But it's clear that the modern dancing that occurs is the most vulgar of those kind. In the Bible, besides the obvious words for dancing, there are some that are not so obvious. For instance, the word translated dance that occurred in the reading tonight, as among several other passages, carries with it the idea of whirling and leaping. In other words, someone is so excited they're jumping, but they're also, the, the original word indicates the idea of a whirling. The best thing that I could think to compare it to was what is referred to as the whirling dervishes. And I know some of you may not even know what that is. But if you go to a lot of Muslim countries, there are men that are excited about some religious aspect and as a part of their religion. They will wear fancy clothes and they'll twirl, they'll swirl, uh, and they're called the whirling dervishes. But let me point out to you, there are some biblical words that are used. If you're reading the original King James or you're reading the American Standard, the word is often translated lasciviousness. Sometimes it is translated licentiousness. Many times in the New King James, it's translated lewdness. It comes from an original word, and I'm quoting Thayer's Dictionary here, wanton acts or manners as filthy words, indecent bodily movements, unchaste handling of males and females. Now, that could involve several things. We're going to see that used in Scripture. Some suggest that since there's dancing in the Bible, that it must be okay. I know you heard it read from this pulpit just a few moments ago from Psalm 149, verse 3, also in Psalm 150, if you want to continue reading there. It's mentioned 21 times in the Old Testament, five times in the New Testament. Let me give you some examples. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 3, 13 through 16. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting with the sound of a trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through the window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. 
and she despised him in her heart. I'd suggest to you, if you look at verse 14, the dancing is defined for you in the verse 16 when it says that he was leaping and whirling for the, before the Lord. If you go to Psalm 149, verse 3, 150, verse 4, you find both times that they were to praise him with the timbrel and dance, praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. One of the things I would suggest to you that the worship of the Old Testament was much different in many ways than our New Testament worship. They were guided by what the prophets of the Old Testament had instructed them to do. We do not praise the Lord with timbrels and harps because we are not instructed to do so. Nor do we praise the Lord with some sort of religious dance because we are not instructed to do so. But I would suggest to you that in the Old Testament there was some sort of outward show of emotion of enthusiasm, if you will, during some portions of their worship. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4, Solomon would say there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. If you look at that series of contrast which Solomon presents, you will notice that one will be on one extreme and the other on the other extreme. When you talk about a time to weep, that's a time of deep sadness. And then a time to laugh, a time for sheer joy. Then he says a time to mourn. A time when a person is just grieving at themselves. But then a time to dance, a time to be excited, so to speak. To jump up and to leap for joy. Some of the dancing in the Bible, though, is obviously vulgar. What do you mean by that? That is that it aroused the lustful senses. You see, not every instance in the Bible is dancing a part of an Old Testament worship pattern. Not is it always expecting or uh, revealing a person of excitement and joy. Sometimes it was to promote lust in other people. Let me give you some examples. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 3, verse 16, God is giving the picture of his rejection of the children of Jerusalem and Judah. He's pointing out that they have chosen a pathway of sin and it's affected the way they were living their everyday lives. And he says, moreover, the Lord says, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet. And when you look at the context in which this appears, as well as it is being stated here, you see women who are trying to do something lustful, and they're even wearing the jingling uh, of sounds, little brass bells, to try to draw attention to themselves. Perhaps the clearest illustration is found in the book of Mark, chapter 6. I dare say most of you are very familiar with this passage. Then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast 
for his nobles and high officers and chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give it to you up to half of my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent to the executioner and commanded the head, his head to be brought. And when he had went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. Why in the world would Herod do something so foolish as to make a promise to a young girl, I'll give you even up to half of my kingdom. I can tell you why he did that. This man was overcome with lust. He was pleased when he saw her dancing what would have been a very vulgar dance. History records this type of dance was nothing less than a display of indecency to entice the viewers. What that means is, is that it occurred not just here, but history shows us what it was for. It was no different than what occurs in many of these so-called men's clubs where people go to view women in various straight states of undress so that they can lust after them. And that's exactly what occurred here. It should be noted, however, that most of the dancing as described in the Bible was done solo. That is, one person would dance. Do you see David? What did David do? He jumped, he twirled, he swirled before the ark of the Lord. Now, modern dancing is done with a partner of the opposite sex. And I've got to ask a question, why? Why do young men and young women dance with one another? I don't think there's any. If you're here and you understand what I'm talking about, I don't think you have to really that, ask that question to have it answered. The modern dance is by nature lewd and often simulates sinful behavior. Sometimes it's referred to as dirty dancing. And there's a good reason. It's because you have young men and young women not married to each other with lust in their hearts rubbing up against each other and doing things that they have no right to do. In Galatians 5 verses 19 through 21, listen to Paul as he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, or if you're going back to the original King James, lasciviousness, 
idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Now, what do you think the revelries are? Of which I told you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that really ought to sink in. As a parent, I'd never want to say to my child, you can do this even though God says if you do it, you can't go to heaven. Where does the modern dance come from? I've got at the top, demonic. Sometimes we don't understand the meaning of demonic. Listen to James 1 and verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. There are things that come from God. They're given to us. Let me tell you some good things. Just a few moments ago, we sang some songs that were of the category of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What do these songs do? They encourage us. They uplift us. They make us think about holy things. On the other hand, there are some things that are not so good. For instance, in that same book, James 3.15 this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. Now, carefully notice with me those last three words there. Earthly. They don't focus on where God is. They don't focus on spiritual things. They focus on things here on this earth. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passes away, and it's lust. But he who does the will of God abides forever. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Sensual. That is, it appeals to the animalistic nature of man. Give in to your feelings. Give in to your urges. You see, that's the way the devil, through the lust of the flesh, attempts to try to get us. And then he uses the word demonic or devilish. This is not from God. This is from the world. Listen to 1 John 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit says... That in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. There will be people who will give in in this Christian age to the demonic teachings, the devilish teachings, the teachings that do not come from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 20 and 21. Paul's writing the church at Corinth, and they're in a quandary. Do we do these things over here, or do we only do these things over here? 
Can I partake of the temple of idols and the table of the Lord? Can I be a part of both of them? And he says this, Rather the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. What he says, you've got to understand, there is a line between the good and evil. Between that which comes from God and that which comes from the devil. And I think it's important to be asked. The modern dance that is held out before us, from whom does it come? I think everyone should be smart enough to see this. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 20, Jesus put it very simpler. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you shall know them. He's talking about people. But things could come under these same categories. Is dancing good and wholesome? Well, if it's so wholesome, why is it that people go there and they turn out the lights? Why is it that people, when they do that, go often and having their senses aroused involve themselves in other sinful behavior. Now, how should a Christian react? You know, when you start thinking about being confronted with this, how should you react toward it? Let's listen to 1 Thessalonians 5, 21-22. Test all things, hold fast what is good. Listen to verse 22 carefully. Abstain from every form of evil. You hear that word? Abstain from every form of evil. Tony, you just don't get it. If you tell people, I'm not going to do something, people will mock you and make fun of you. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. You ought to expect it. That's what Christians expect. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yes, and all who love godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But you know, I'd a whole lot rather please God than please these people who really don't care about me. In Psalm 119, verse 104 and verse 128, David says, Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Therefore, all your precepts concerning things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. I've got to develop a sense where I recognize a discerning vision that says, this is from God, this is from the devil. This is good, this is bad. And I've got to recognize from what they accomplish 
Romans 12, verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. The devil would just love for you to dance with him right into hell. You know, one of the ways the devil is going to come at you, and I, there's so many passages, I, I, you have to limit at some point the approach. But just like in 2 Peter chapter 2, he says, they allure through the lust of the flesh those who are just escaping from error. They're, they're just holding things out there. They know that you want it. They know that it looks good. And the devil will say, oh, there's not much harm in it. Christians have to learn not to be taken in by the devil's devices. You know, he held out and told Eve that that forbidden fruit was really good for her. That God was just trying to keep her away from something that was just so good for her. So delightful for her. He took that little word, not. You will not surely die. Let me ask you the question. Who told the truth? God or the devil? God always tells the truth. The devil will lie to you at every turn. Now parents, I want to speak to you. You should help your children make the right decisions in life. Sometimes they're looking at you. And they may know the difference between right and wrong, but the pressure is so hard on them. They're looking for you to stand up and provide some leadership and say, we don't need to do that. There's righteous alternatives. There's things that Christians can do that are good and wholesome. They're looking at you. Provide for them that leadership. As I've said about our previous lessons, these moral issues, many of them are issues that are not evangelistic in nature. But it may be that through your Bible classes, through someone else's love and concern for you, you've come to an understanding that Jesus is the Son of God. That you are indeed very sorry for the sins that you have committed and you're determined in your mind that you're not going to participate in them anymore. You're repenting of your sins. You're willing to say before men, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And why not tonight, when we sing the invitation song, respond by being baptized for the remission of your sins. If you are a Christian and you look at your life and you see sin there and you know that it needs to be taken care of, you can do that. You can respond, not to me, respond to the Lord. You can ask God's forgiveness, of which you and I are assured that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we will pray together, as the Bible instructs us to do, Assured that God's mercy and God's grace is there. If you need to respond, would you come as we stand and sing?